0: Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan, a short-form comic book podcast where my goal is to help you find that next fantastic read or discover an old favorite. I cover comics from the golden age to now, indies, and Kickstarter campaigns. You never know what I might cover, but you will know where to find fantastic comics to read at the end of each episode. It's Tuesday, August 30th, 2022, and this is episode 62 of the podcast. It is also, sort of, the beginning of the countdown to the first anniversary of the podcast and the 75th episode. I started the podcast at the end of last September, and it's changed and evolved a lot over the year. Right now, I'm curious to see how close i come to tying in the 75th episode with that actual anniversary. As all common fans know... Publishers try to make a big deal of 25 increments. 25, 50, 75, 100, 125. Oh, who am I kidding? You know publishers will find any excuse or reason to celebrate a wonky number. Now this time around, I have back again Ross Aiken from the Stop Let's Team Up podcast. He's a frequent guest because he has fantastic insights into comics and creators. For this episode, he joins me in a discussion of Jim Shooter. Older fans, like Ross and I, remember Shooter and his many contributions to the comic industry. Newer fans, Shooter is a must-know icon. Now, like many legendary comic legends, there tends to be a tendency to either put him on a pedestal or see Shooter as the worst thing to happen to comics. Our discussion of Shooter doesn't paint him either way. Instead, I think we do a fantastic job of showing the different sides of Jim Shooter. If you like this podcast, please spread the word. Recommend it to other fans. With this episode, there's a link tree in the show notes, allowing you easy access to the fantastic comic fan social media and platforms where you can listen to the podcast. Please follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. I want this podcast to grow and introduce fans to a different way of covering comic books. Thanks for listening and on to today's episode. Welcome back to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. I am pleased to welcome back to the podcast, Ross Aitken. He does Stop Let's Team Up Podcast. And you can find that on the major platforms. Ross has come back today. Thank you, Ross. Appreciate it. You're welcome. It was fun to be here. To talk about Jim Shooter. Now, we could actually do multi, multi episodes about Jim Shooter. But we decided to just kind of like wing it. And if you're a new comic book fan, you really, really need to know Jim Shooter. Wouldn't you agree, Ross? Oh, yeah, yeah. If
1: you want to understand Marvel, modern Marvel comics, uh, he was the first. They, they had the revolving door of editors-in-chiefs. And they were all good editors. I mean, it's great. The comic greats that went before him. But he kind of stabilized Marvel and put it back, put solidified it as a top-tier publisher. Uh, when there were some troubles. That's like the second half of his. That's the second part of his career.
0: Because he actually started at an incredible age of 13 mm-hmm. writing for DC.
1: His so first in superhero, folks, my book, my book. And it's adventure, it,
0: adventure comics 346. He actually wrote and drew that comic book at the time.
1: And that is the introduction of Feralad. Princess Project, Feral Princess Project, Karate Kid, and Nemesis Kid. And the core Coulins-
0: majorly important characters yes. and the villains get <laughs> introduced also at that time that was the first appearance. Co- of- oh yeah yeah
1: the uh, villains that are straight and you cannot believe it's written by a kid no I mean because it, it's in the second wave of the adventure run like the first adventure comic stuff is the seagull forte stuff and then it's the shooter Swan because he wrote it for
0: what a year yeah like 12 issues. He wrote it for a while. And it's funny. And they're because, all classic. It's funny because he was uncredited uh, for acute issues. And then this woman named Irene Vartanov said, well, who wrote this 346, you know? Yeah, because it it? Ne-
1: they never gave credits. And,
0: they? you know, and when they published her letter, they said, well, yeah, it was James Shooter and this and that. Irene is still alive today. She's actually a romance novelist. And okay. she, goes, she goes, if you came to my website and saw my name, And a comic book or the database goes, yes, I'm that same Irene, because I wrote hundreds of fan letters to DC over a two-year period. I later worked on the staff for both Marvel and DC. She went from editorial, to production, because I even worked with Stan Lee. She thought he was nice. And she goes, I even did coloring for Marvel and DC. And she goes, Marie Severin taught me everything I knew about coloring, which wasn't much, but I did my best. But yeah, she's still around doing romance novels. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing that- you know, One of
1: those other people that uh, if you ever listen to a podcast that reads the letters reflecting I'm big uh, Earth 2 podcast and they do it and they like to point out, well, this is Bob Rozakis, This is Bill Mantlo. This is- yes. Because a lot of these people that are incredibly important, Mark, Mark Grunwald would write comic letters. Roy Thomas did. They would all do it. And a lot of them ended up in the business. You know, and that's all, big. Jim Shooter. Wasn't it? The, how did he get the gig? Because they used to like do covers and then have people base a story on a cover.
0: I believe he just sent that story in, written and drawn, and sent it in there at the time, and they bought it. Now, now who was the editor at the time of that?
1: Weisenger, we- Mort Weisinger
0: yeah. Mort Weisinger, from what I gather, really didn't treat young Jim Shooter very well.
1: He didn't know it was a kid, did he? I mean, if not, I remember, the, the I, first, that may be apocryphal,
0: but but not at first. But when he did, he still didn't treat the kid, you know, as well. That he might probably... have formed
1: have, Might have formed kind of Jim's professional that, attitude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that might explain a lot about, Jim's <laughs> yeah,
1: because because he was Mort was not a very. I mean, DC had some great editors, but none of them would win congeniality contests because they were hard ass old editors. Yeah. They expected you to work. I mean, it, it wasn't, it's not like nowadays where it, you're recruiting artists to do specific series for a short period of time, create a specific product in a short window where sixties, what he was doing as a 13 year old man, they were grinding this stuff out. That comic had to be done in four weeks They didn't and be done show. two months before it was published. I mean, and you just did it. And there, he and I will say for, before we get onto the second wave of what's important, to shooter, those event, those uh, legion stories he did are incredibly foundational well and foundational. They are, they are. It is why you get Paul Levitz's run, why you get all these other things. The the characters and their basic personalities are created by Weissendier, Siegel, and Forte. But when it's Shooter and Swan and Klein for that run for the for the second half of that it is there is so much foundation to the mythos of that is still re- and whenever they reboot it they bring their redo shooter stories every yes. reboot takes the stories that they repeat other than like the death of lightning lad which is uh siegel and weisinger is is the shooter the, the sun eater yeah shooter uh, Princess Projecta and Karate Kid and that and that whole thing and her being. I mean, what Levitz does is he's just taking things that Shooter created and when he does pro- Projector, when he makes a sense girl. It all ties back to what was created by that 13 year old kid. There's no ch- they've not changed it. They're just adding to that foundation layer after layer. And I mean, that's what makes those are the stories leading into the Kerry Bates and then Shooter again. Shooter came back. Yes. And wrote some uh, uh, with Cockrum. And then Levitz took over from him. And then I, you get then you had Conway and Thomas, which we will not discuss. Right. And then
0: <laughs> Now, Jim Shooter is a very controversial figure because yeah. he again, people either put him on a pedestal and say how great he is or they demonize him for some of the things that happened under his watch. And he's, I, a,
1: he's the perfect mix of both of those because the, the yes. things we glorify him for, he deserves credit for. He saved Marvel. He wrote some really seminal, he wrote a good, he, it's not my favorite run of Avengers, but he took over the Avengers from Steve Englehart. Yes, he did. And wrote the Korvac saga. Yeah. With Noah, I mean, he had to use Dan, I mean, and he lost George Perez as his artist and he had to finish it with someone else. And I think that's still his best story. He even drew the Marvel two-in-one. Did that he? That goes in, the, yeah. No, the Marvel uh, super, super villain team up. There's an issue that he drew of that, that goes in bet- right in the
0: middle of his arc. When we were putting the notes together, I actually decided to go to Jim Shooter's website, uh, which hasn't been updated in a long time. He's doing something again, though, too, isn't he? The last I heard, he was editor-in-chief of something called Illustrated Media, which is a custom comic company. I don't know what he's doing right now, But, you know, he was editor-in-chief at Marvel for the longest time. But he founded Valiant Comic, started another comic book company called Defiant, which is also defunct now, and Broadway Comics. He went on and started a few other comic book companies after he left.
1: Valiant's still around. And Valiant's Valiant's still around. And he did stuff he did. He created the event. Kind of Marvel Secret Wars. Yeah. That's a really good comic. He is the person responsible for Claremont and Byrne having to change the end of the Dark Phoenix saga because he read it and went, This is unacceptable. And that's I've gotten an argument with someone about that before. He shouldn't we'll, have changed with the writer. We'll talk wrote. about goes, that.
0: We'll talk about that yeah. in a few minutes because I got some interesting notes. But he said, he goes, I accept the position of editor in chief at Marvel under the condition that I could be allowed to improve things for Marvel's creators. I introduced model royalties and a spectrum of other incentives, rights and benefits and attracted to who's who of talent. Yeah, I can give him that. I mean, I, he can't give that soul to him because at the same time, jointly, DC was also improving incentives for creators. creators. Well, yeah, and
1: that, and that all started with Neil Adams. I mean, it was finally, there was someone yes. in charge who agreed with Neil. Yes. And had been a creator who wasn't a staff person. You know what I mean? He had been that indie who got taken advantage of as a kid he probably was not paid what he should have been paid those comics sold very well and yeah. he didn't see any of that and it led to some really good changes in comics that because dc was doing the emulating there i, th- I swear under that i think that there are some comics from that era when he's running marvel and dc's they've started the incentives and that keeps us from seeing reprints of certain things because some of that they're big holes in the reprints of that
0: there is still, trades
1: and stuff. Yes. There are huge holes. Royce, I think one reason like certain, some of Roy's stuff isn't done because he was getting paid a high rate.
0: Yes, Roy Thomas, even when he went, you know, at Marvel, he was getting paid high. Even when he went to DC. But none of his
1: DC stuff is reprinted.
0: Not too much, no.
1: None, no. I can't think of anything.
0: They're actually, um, DC is adding Captain Carrick to their uh, unlimited service right now.
1: Oh, that's good. They did do an essential. They did a black and white showcase. of yes. that, And I had it. It was gorgeous. And they had one volume of all-star comic, but that Iraq, his big things are not reprinted. No. And I think sometimes
0: it's because of royalties
1: you know, to the incentive programs because they're still owed that money.
0: Even it, now, yes. when shooter was editor in chief, he goes, he goes, I was charged with governing, managing, and protecting all the characters because my job was to make sure characters were in character. And that was the final word. on what the characters, not the creators or any freelancers said, the company relied on me to manage the company's intellectual properties, which makes sense because Marvel in the early 80s was a big licensing company also. And, yeah. and, and Shooter was kind of stuck between writing cool comic books and having to tow that corporate line.
1: The writers, and he had some great writers. I mean, Claremont and Byrne do yes. great work and there's some great stuff going on, but there has to be the grown-up in the room this is a business and the trademark is King. It's why it's why team, why comic companies would do team up books. You know, it go, was basically, I have to show this character every two years or I don't hold my copyright.
0: We were talking about the dark Phoenix saga, which to me, I thought like, I always heard what burn and Claremont had to say, yeah. but not necessarily what shooter had to say. And I really don't think shooter cared all that much about a lot of this stuff at Marvel anymore. I mean, it's to me, he's like, I don't have any access to grind. This is just the way it was. I had to do it. Yeah, make made some mistakes. Yeah, and he
1: didn't care. I mean, it was his number one book. I mean, he, yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't have interfered unless it was, and his argument is 100% correct. Yeah. He it's said, a bad, it was a bad, it was lazy story. I mean, it was a lazy story point that to assume that a character does something horrific and there is no ramifications
0: yes. is bad writing. His exact words. <laughs> was the plot indicated that fans would somehow be mind wiped and let go back to living in the mansion, hanging around with Storm and company, sitting at the table, having lunch, pretending everything was normal. He goes, that to me would be like the German army uh, away from Hitler and letting him go back to governing Germany. You know, okay, you know, putting the bad guy back into. Yeah. And he's like, did I have a moral issue with it? Yes. He got, I had more of it it wasn't a moral issue. said, I had a character issue. He goes, would Storm sit comfortably at a dinner table with someone who had killed a billion people and, and act as if nothing had ever happened? But all the experts go, ah, it was no big deal. It's okay. You, you basically went they down a make... whole plan. And he said, no, you couldn't just ignore that.
1: And what were the options? Because you, you put in
0: your notes, you sent us, a. there's what, yeah, the, he, was the other option. They were going to mind wipe her and turn her into a, basically a vegetable and take away all her powers. But again, Shooter's like, so what? You know, these people still knew what she did. But, wasn't uh, another one they were going to put her in a prison, and then it would have been was Chris the other one. Yeah, they would just have to keep ch- every ten issue. You'd be trying to break her out again. He goes, uh, "I told Chris that the ending proposed in the plot didn't work. It wasn't workable. In fact, it made the characters look like lame characters. It was a total cap out. Didn't like it. He said I'd have made a different ending. So yes, Chris and Rage asked me what that might be, and he suggested maybe putting her into a interstellar prison." Chris has said, well, every time, you know, every, every, every plot point would be the expert trying to rescue her from this prison, and that would be, you know, couldn't do it. So he says, I did not know they were going to kill Phoenix. And the next morning, kind of, those two, Byrne and Claremont were like, well, fine, we'll just kill her. And didn't think that she would say, yeah, go ahead and kill her. And basically said, no, brought, go ahead, kill he her. Wrong
1: person. Yeah, that's That was the wrong person. Because he's, oh, it's a good point. Because it is, I mean, I hate to say, I mean, I don't hate to say it. That is the perfect ending for that story, guys. Yep. And serendipity was putting your way, an editor that was like, you're not paying attention to what you're writing.
0: So him
1: as someone who knows how to write a story, went, that's a bad ending. And I, as the editor-in-chief of this company that we need to license these character. I can't license a mass murderer.
0: He said, I insisted on the solution of her being killed off. It was done brilliantly, if reluctantly, by Chris and John. And that was the issue that propelled the X Men for the next, he said, two decades. He goes, That's the story. Because you can check with Jim Scallop, who was another editor at the time. And he said, I think great. he's a great editor. And he said, I think Chris would even corroborate what I just said, too. And he goes, Chris doesn't get nearly enough credit for what it accomplished with that story. And he goes, I'm proud. This is. Shooters, exactly. So I'm proud to be the doofus who helped enable that storyline to happen. It is, it is, it, it is, it
1: cements. I was working in a comic shop and remember opening those boxes. Box after box, like four boxes. It was like pre, it was an event. We, X-Men, to get an X-Men 94, a giant size one, they would come into the comic shop and they were like the Holy Grail. And they're only 20 some, they're only 30 issues ahead of that. Yes. You know what I mean? Because it was bi-monthly for two and a half years, pretty with, close. And then when it, because it was bi-monthly, because that's as fast as Dave could draw. Yes, he couldn't draw monthly. He couldn't. He couldn't draw monthly. And they also were like, "Is it going to sell?" Because it was a tur- It was a dog. X Men was a dog, and it was Claremont. And then when they put him with Byrne, they both are. They both grew up on shooter. Cra- you know what I mean? They're that perfect generation. Yes. Even though they're not that much old, younger than him. If they were at all, but you know what I mean? It was that perfect storm. And it is, it is the thing that be- makes X-Men goes from being this terrible book to being the most important book at that time. And it was double- the cornerstone of Marvel. And it was
0: the- double-sized and a weird double size, like 137 was double-sized. And Marvel didn't do very many double-sized no, back then. No, no, then.
1: no, it was a big deal because the comic shops were like, the owner of the our comic shop was like, I have to buy this many of it and I don't know if I can afford it and will it sell? She really... stayed dead until
0: Busick found a workaround, yes. And back then, Marvel didn't really kill that many characters,
1: no one did. It's even pre crisis, you know. I think it's why DC and other comic companies kind of went, Oh, you can whack somebody and make it stick.
0: And Jean Gray was how long was made...
1: flat, you know.
0: Jean Gray was, was a major character in the Marvel, she, yeah, founding member of the uh X Men, and she had ties, oh, to but she just... became I mean...
1: more so after this, yes, you know. Yes. because when who i don't know who was editor-in-chief when uh busick came up with the workaround to have her that it wasn't Jean blah 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 Was which it i don't i was i'm it... a big Kurt Busick fan but i don't like bringing her back i think she should say she should be dead i think she should have stayed dead too she should have been with you know it's it's like they brought back barry and marvel and uh, uh barry allen i'm like why did you do that for you after dead.
0: 20 years yeah they brought him finally brought yeah, him yeah. back he had a
1: nice death there's more than enough and i think i mean and still it didn't it wasn't until hickman took over x-men really that gene and scott are back as a couple it ends up being like gene and it, it's uh, her death is so much of her invocation it's scott and Hamma. right that do i do at you know that thing it's not until hickman said all the x ex- i'm bringing back every mutant because they brought back thunderbird who was the other x-men who stayed dead Oh, until, they brought him back this month. Right I know there, two months ago. Well, it's like why?
0: Not to go off to too many tangents, but that's Man. that's the problem with the X Men now is that the stories have no emotional punch. They don't really matter. You know, ah, yeah. oh, we can just either redo the continuity or bring them back alive. So, what's the point? Where's the drama? Where's the you know excitement in the title? Yeah.
1: Hickman writes space opera. And I like Hickman comics. I do. They, they're they for my brain. But, but I think, and I think he understands the characters, but they're these huge sweeping arcs. He's done he, and he's moved on and some other people are doing some of it. But it is so dense that I don't find it as entertaining. I I will give him this. He writes a better single issue than Bendis, but he doesn't write one like on Shooter is that each issue had to be, this was still the era where each issue had to tell you something. Yes. And he had, And as much as I think, I'm not. Don't think his later writing is all that superb, but I think Secret War is a really good event comic. It has very
0: little fat on it, and that's the reason why he wrote it because yeah, he, wrote he it thought because... he could handle all the characters and keep them in the character. And yeah. he's like I did a fair. team
1: of twenty. At I did a team of twenty-five at thirteen. I can do it now. And the ballsiness of saying that no one. In one issue, everybody disappears. In the next issue of everybody's book, they come back changed and you have to wait 12 months reading this event to find out
0: what happened. You know, when he went to Marvel and overall, Jim Shooter does not have a huge portfolio of comics that he wrote.
1: He only wrote two runs. He wrote his Avengers run, which was, was not consecutive. It was over... Uh, he did about from he did chunks between the late 100s and the early 200s with gaps where Jerry Conway or other people would do an arc or two, but he wrote,
0: you know. But in that is the Korvac saga, and he wrote mostly when he was at Marvel. He, his he wrote mostly one and two part stories. You yeah, know, I think he, he just did fill ins. He was like, yeah, I think he, he
1: did the fill in issues
0: because I was I was just looking over his stuff. I'm going he you know outside of in and during marvel he did the avengers you know for a while but outside of that he did only fill in work but yet here we are after all this time talking about jim shooter because what he did as editor-in-chief mattered to marvel he set the foundation of what marvel is today that's and
1: he and that's what we've seen with editors-in-chief after him Because remember, it was like five, it was Roy, Jerry, Len, Archie, Marv. There were five in like six years after Stan left because none of them were editors. I mean, they could edit like bits and pieces, but they needed an editor who was going to be the driving force of the company like Stan was. and, And Jim was that. And I think Marvel's had a succession of editors in chief like that. It went because who replaced him? Tom DeFalco? I believe
0: so, yes. Yeah, he, and
1: who's a good order? And then you had um, Joe Casada, who just finally left the company after so many years. 20 years. Yeah, Shooter, years.
0: shooter uh, was actually fired in 87 from Marvel. Because he, yeah. he was
1: editor-in-chief for what, eight years?
0: Uh, eight years, yes. Yeah,
1: that's a long time for Marvel.
0: <laughs> that's, you know. And he was also um, very much at developing the direct market too, which a lot of fans don't realize that. It's because of some of the initiatives that he did. Like Dazzler number one, which nobody realizes any—that was the first direct-only comic book. That I was the, i remember unpacking that one when it came yeah. out. That Dazzler number one was, was the only comic. Was the first comic book, and then later on it was under his watch too. That Moon Knight, Kazar, and Micronauts all became direct to comic book stores only.
1: And you know? you, and I and those all of those sold like crazy. That Kazar run was an incredibly popular comic. Yeah. It's one that I still wish I had never sold my runs on it because they're never going to reprint it and they won't put it up because of the author.
0: And Shooter was also the first editor-in-chief to actually treat Marvel as a business and not just a bunch of uh, frat boys making comic books. Yeah. yeah. He, oh yeah,
1: yeah, he was like, we're going to do this as a professional yeah. uh, because there's more to this business and, you're, and it, Marvel would almost die. It, 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 you know what I mean? It, it almost died because of the direct market.
0: And Shooter also initiated the fact that we're getting comic books out on time. There's no fill-ins, there's no reprints, which during the Bronze Age, during the 70s, Marvel's infamous for not mating deadlines for comic books. You know, you'd have a really weird fill-in comic book or a really oh weird reprint. Oh my God,
1: herocious there's a two-issue fill-in in Avengers around the time he was writing it. Or no, it was at the end of the Engelhart run where they had to tell a story. It, no, it was during the Korvac saga. They had to put a fill in. Yes. Because they weren't done. And I mean, even he couldn't keep up. And That's why it's not Perez. It's Don Wenzel, which is no offense. I mean, he I tried, but it's definitely that it's one of those things, but it's because who can get a
0: book out? Shooter came in. He was the Marvel's ninth editor-in-chief. He started in 78, left in 87. And he was much more, he put the hammer down to people. It was much more business-like, much more of a, it, this is the way it's going to go. I don't care if you are a creator my way or the highway. And that offended a lot of creators.
1: And that's oh. the only type of really editors they've had. Well, that's not true. DeFalco didn't really do that. But the other since then is, and even in DC is, it's about the cult of the personality of who the editor-in-chief is. Yeah, is ever all of them. And that's and that you can see it in the way Marvel runs its business. It, you have a gym shooter with Kevin Feige with the movies. It's like this is the, the movies are coming out when I need them to come out. We're going to do we're going to it's about the characters. If you're not, you know, very much so very its structure. I am the traffic cop. I have the final
0: say of taste. And that's you what you know? shooters the same way. And under yeah. shooters watch a lot of big iconic. We talked about the X-Men. But also, you had Byrne doing the Fantastic Four. Frank Miller's Daredevil was underneath his ride Walter mm-hmm. Simonson, some big run Thor, was under his watch. Also, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, uh, Rogers, Ther- yeah. Rogers, Stern writing Avengers and Spider-Man, was also under his watch. So, oh my god, some, yeah, yeah, these are some big creators that when people talk about Jim Shooter, it's you got to look at the middle ground. You can't just sit there and say, you know, he was a bad guy because he did this and that. He was a corporate person who had run by like a corporation, not just a bunch of frat boys making comic books.
1: Yeah. And and, it,
0: and, it, and for
1: the best of the, what he did for the industry is and he got a lot of heat because he could be I and I can't remember who said it, but it was like he did great things for the books and he fixed a lot of problems. The yes. problem is he, he never stopped trying to fix it. And he started to piss off some of the talent. And that, that kind of that made was, it John difficult. John
0: Byrne said that. John Byrne yeah. said he fixed a lot. He said he just couldn't stop fixing it. And it kind of got tiresome after a while. That's our run about Jim Shooter. Somebody that uh, comic fans should know, not only as a writer, but also as a editor-in-chief because a lot of what Marvel is today stemmed right from Shooter back in the 80s. Before we just wrap this up for us, do you have anything else you want to say about Jim Shooter? Nothing. I He's
1: someone I... I'm not a fan of some of his, his comic writing. I'm not, uh, but I do think he fixed, he did a lot of important stuff. He gets a bad rap. And I do think his Legion is, if you haven't gone, just Google it, check them out. they are av- some of them are available yes. on the app because it's spot that adventure spotty, but the sheer number as a Legion fan of what he did as a child is mind boggling Be- yes. because the this quality of the writing is a step above all the stuff before it and after it it really isn't that good until he comes back in the 70s to do a short little run with dave Cockrum and then paul levitt's coming in and, and paul i'm a big paul levitt's fan but he is definitely doing he learned from roy and he learned from jim
0: Yes, because exactly.
1: I would say for a super team book writer, I think the formula and the way of building camaraderie, Jim Shooter had that talent. And I don't think, you know, he's on the level of a Roy Thomas and a Gardner Fox and a Paul Levitz and a Chris Claremont. He just never really did a long enough run. Imagine I can't imagine what he would have done if he could focus, focus and only focus on the art, because I think sometimes he would focus on the pro, uh, the business end. Even when he was writing, but if he, what could he have done? Because the pure joy of writing when he was a kid, this stuff's wonderful. It's wonderful.
0: Well, Ross, thank you again for joining me on the podcast. You can listen to Ross's uh, podcast on all the major players. Uh, Stop. Let's team up. Ross. Thanks again for coming. We'll have you on again. I also don't know when you're going to be back. We'll be talking about, but I'm sure it'll be something fun that we both enjoy. So again, Ross, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you stick around for future episodes. If you like this podcast, please spread the word. Recommend it to comic fans. With this episode, I've added a link tree to the show notes, allowing you easy access to the comic fan podcasts, platforms, and social media accounts. Please follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. I want the podcast to grow and introduce fans to a different way of covering comic books. Again, thanks so much for listening. See you next time.